Check Complete, a referee podcast, is an educational resource for referees by referees, designed to connect and develop soccer officials of all ages and skill levels to better serve the game both on and off the field. Today, I'm excited to interview Rich Brady. Rich, first of all, thank you so much for taking time to join the podcast. We really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. Looking yeah. forward to it. Absolutely. We're, we're thrilled. Um, and I say we, it's our whole team. It's not like I have multiple personalities here. So it's our whole Check Complete team. But um, let me just give a little bit of background on Rich before we share. He's got a, a couple different angles that we're going to talk to Rich about today and his journey as a referee and then the current role he finds himself in with the uh, NCAA soccer side of things. So um, Rich, you gave me some background information. I'm going to do a little brief intro here, as brief as I can be with all the experience that you have under your belt. Um, you started refereeing at age 17. Okay, I won't list what year that is, but uh, you started <laughs> refereeing at age 17 uh, and worked your way up. State referee, national referee, worked in the MLS from 96 to 2002 and as a FIFA referee from 98 to 2003. Uh, on the college side of, side of things, you've refereed in quite a few conferences and have a lot of experience at the postseason side of things. And so I won't go through all those, but worked in the Big Ten, the Horizon, the Summit, the Mid-Continent, Southern Conference, um, and uh, worked over 30 NCAA playoff matches across all divisions and genders. And so um, from 2012 to 2021, you've been serving as an NCAA regional advisor and the secretary, the NCAA secretary rules editor since 2021. Uh, you also work as a national referee coach for U.S. soccer and assessor for pro and on the Midwest Regional Referee Advisory Committee. So that's where I've seen you the last few years uh, at the regional tournament. And then um, also on the, the indoor side. So you stay busy in the winter uh, with the MASL since 2002. Um, actually, it was 91 to 98. Then there was a little break. And then 2002 right. to present uh, with the MASL. And then uh, for your day job, you're the social studies department chair and girls soccer coach in Deerfield, Illinois. So um Quite a long resume there, lots of experience. Let's jump in first on the referee experience side of things, where you got started, um, how that came about, and that launched you know, where you're at today. So give us the, the starting story there. So my brother is two years younger than me, and uh, when we started playing travel soccer, I would go to his games, and in those days, they only assigned one referee, and you had to provide club linesmen as it was in those days. Um, so I always volunteered to do that. And one of our local officials who was the SYRA at the time in New Jersey, Tony Cullen, uh, encouraged me and said, Hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. You should go take a class. So my dad, my brother, and I, uh, all took a class and got certified. And our first year of officiating, we would go out as a three person crew, even though, uh, they would only pay for one referee. So we would all work together and that was how we uh, we got started. That's awesome, very good. And I'm seeing a trend as we've interviewed other guests about just the importance of people believing in young referees, having someone look at you and go, hey, you're not too bad. Uh, you should take, you should pursue this a little bit. I think that's a trend that I'm seeing more and more and just shows how important it is for those of us that have been in it for a while to, to invest. Absolutely. So. So that's how you got started. So let's talk more about how the progression has gone in your career. What was that climb to the top, if you, if you will? How was that? Uh, well, I, first of all, it's like I'm an officiating nerd. Um, yeah. I, I, I'll ref anything and everything. And, and when I was in college, 
um, that's what I did. I refed intramural, you name it, yeah. you know, flag football, basketball, softball, indoor soccer, floor hockey, outdoor soccer, you know, all of that stuff. Um, I just enjoy that challenge. So um, really when I finished college and moved out to Chicago for graduate school, I kind of got thrown in the deep end and I was 22 years old. And at the time we had a lot of uh, major division games in amateur leagues that were assigned as one person games. So wow, here you go. You're going to do the major uh, Mexican league in Chicago by yourself. Go have fun. <laughs> uh, and that's where you learn how to referee. Yeah. Uh, I had a lot of people who were very helpful to me. Uh, Carl Beck, who was a former national referee, uh, passed away, you know, unfortunately very early, but he was the college assigner in Chicago. He gave me a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, Alfred Kleinitis, who worked for U.S. Soccer and was a big person in Illinois. Uh, Steve Siomos, who gave me plenty of opportunities. So a, a lot of those guys who, you know, took a chance on me and, and let me work through things and, you know, make my mistakes and, and learn from it that way. So, you know, I had plenty of opportunities to, to figure out what to do and what not to do. Yeah. One of the questions that I'd mentioned before that I'd love to dive into here is this is re with regards to setbacks that you faced along the way. I'm sure there were as you were getting thrown into the deep end, some moments that you were kind of like, oh, what were some of those and how did you overcome that as you move forward? Yeah, I think, you know, for I'm going to save that part for the, the pro part. So let me let me get to the MLS part. And then, yeah, please do. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. That's where I experienced more of that kind of thing. So hopefully yeah. this makes a little bit more sense. Um, you know, it was very much a case of being in the right place at the right time for me. I became a national referee in 1995. And the following year, MLS started. And mm -hmm. they invited a whole bunch of us to a preseason camp, and none of us knew anything about anything. You know, yeah. you had a lot of people who, you know, the only pro experience they had was on what would basically be third division stuff today or mm -hmm. um, indoor. And it was very much trial by fire and you got a game and if they liked it, you got another one. And if they didn't, they moved on and found someone else. Mm -hmm. um, so I was fortunate enough to have that opportunity and did well enough to, to keep progressing and staying in that. But I think the, the big challenge for me was always making sure everything was balanced. And, and this was in mm -hmm. a time when this was not a full-time job. Right. Um, they didn't have the setup that they did with pro today. And, and, you know, first of all, I think it's terrific for the referees that they can make it their full-time career and they, they can have a job that pays well and gives them benefits and has that kind of thing. But that wasn't the world that we were living in, um, in the late nineties. So a lot of it for me was always a challenge of how do I balance work, family, soccer, um, you know, and, and the times that were probably the biggest challenges for me um, revolved around some of that, you know, where the stress was caused by that or um, by kind of a style of officiating. I was, particularly in those days, a much more by the book referee mm -hmm. and my man and management skills were not, you know, honestly where I would have liked them to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was also part of the deal in those days. You had 
a lot of directives from FIFA and they wanted to see this, this, and this and, and go deal with it and take care of business. So there was kind of a, a little bit of a split. And I think, you know, I had times where I was not good enough on the management side and I had to figure out how to adjust and, and do with that, deal with that. And, you know, how do you bounce back from a game where, you know, it all goes in the toilet and you've got four or five red cards and you're on the front page of the sports section somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the kind of thing where it really did help to have, to have balance. And it's like, okay, I can't think about this all the time because I've got, yeah. you know, I've got a young kid, I've got a marriage, I've got a job that I've just started. And it was healthy to have that kind of balance in life. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me, the whole thing about bouncing back is, you know, number one, recognizing, okay, I do need to bounce back. And number two, just trying to figure out the reason we get into this in the first place is because we enjoy it. Yeah. And if you're, if you're not having fun, if it's always pressure, 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 um, that's not conducive to good performance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, makes I, sense. I think one of the, the big, like a specific challenge, I had a game, um, DC and Miami Fusion, back when they were a club. And uh, I had an early red card. I was convinced I was right. And team made a tactical change. They took another player off and he F-bombed me on the way off the field and I sent him off. And, you know, one thing led to another and it wasn't, uh, wasn't my favorite moment. And, you know, then we had a lot of pressure from the league and, and pushback kind of saying like, we don't want to see this again. You need to, you need to figure this out. So uh, the next week I was refereeing in, in the second division, what was then called the A-League. And mm -hmm. the assessor commented, gee, it looked like you were trying really hard not to give cards tonight. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, it's a learning process all the way through. Yeah. Hmm. The balance piece, I think, strikes a chord with a lot of officials. You're right at the pro level. They're obviously able to be salaried and work that. But I think for so many that are climbing that ladder, right, that that is – it's, it's difficult um, moving up the USL ranks and things. Everybody's trying to figure out how to balance that. This is not a question we had planned, but is there a practical advice maybe from your time in that or just what you see now about how someone can kind of successfully navigate the balancing act? I, I'll speak to my experience. I don't know that, that the circumstances are kind of the same for people now, mm -hmm. but, you know, for me, I made choices in my career that I knew would have in some ways a negative impact on, on what my ceiling would be as an official. Mm. And I'm okay with those choices and I'd make the same choices again. Mm. Um, so when I was a first year FIFA official, I was three weeks into my first year of full-time teaching. So I had no tenure. Uh, my oldest son had just been born we're living in Illinois and my wife's family is from Ohio and mine is from Jersey. So we got no help. Yeah. And, uh, they wanted me to go to Honduras for two weeks for a CONCACAF world cup qualifying event. And I said, no, yeah. um, that's not something that typically plays well when you tell people at that level, <laughs> right. uh, thanks, but no thanks. 
So I knew that, that, you know, that was going to limit some of my opportunities, but honestly, I saw way too many of my friends and colleagues who either lost jobs or relationships because they were always trying to pursue the next big thing in soccer. Right. Um, so I, I think it's kind of like the advice that you give players when they're looking at colleges and, and like, okay, if soccer ended tomorrow, would you still be happy here? And I would say the, the same thing. At some point for all of us, the, the soccer part stops. Yeah. What do you have left? You know, do you have something meaningful in your life? Do you have those relationships? Do you have the ability to, to have something else to fall back on? Yeah. Well, see, it must, that's, it must be why CONCACAF's not reaching out to me to know I'm going to say no. That must be why I'm not getting CONCACAF appointments. So that's good to know. That makes me, I'll sleep easy tonight. Um, I love that. I think that's huge. And I understand the passion for the game, but uh, finding that balance is, is crucial. And I think we see a lot of young officials that are very gung-ho. Um, it's almost the same with players, like you said. Um, you know, the burnout piece can be real. So finding the balance to, to make sure that's right. not the case is huge. Um, so one of the other questions I had mentioned that I'd like to hear is just memorable experiences. You've already talked about that, um, about one of those games. Are there other memorable experiences you've come across just in your referee career? Yeah, I had so many, you know, yeah. fun, memorable experiences. I think a couple that stand out, uh, getting to do Mexico against Argentina uh, twice in a six-month span in 1999. Um, the first time in Los Angeles, and there was – 99,000 people in the LA Coliseum. Oh my goodness. Um, and I got to do the rematch in Chicago um, six months later and Soldier Field was sold out. And those were, were really fun experiences. Um, my younger son, who wasn't born at the time, um, came across a picture that he was doing some experience uh, thing with a class and he had to explain a photograph. And he asked me for a little context from the game and I gave him a little bit and I found the lineup sheets and I sent it to him. I said, yeah, there's a couple of guys on here you may have heard of, you know, who were in this game. One was Pochettino and the other was Simeone who oh were playing God. for Argentina. So he was like, oh, so he's a little more impressed uh, than he was before. <laughs> um, but those are certainly memorable. I think the, the crazy, craziest experience I had was at the Pan American Games in Canada. Um, also in 1999, I had uh, Canada and Guatemala, and it was effectively an elimination match. Mm. And 15 minutes into the game, gave a caution to a Guatemalan player. He didn't like the caution, so he pushed me in the chest. Ooh, so here's a red card. Yeah. Um, so then they kind of mobbed me and swarmed me, and as I was walking away, one of them kicked me in the back of the leg. Here's another red card. So now we're 11 on nine and things are not getting any better. Yeah. Uh, we restart right after that. And they must've thought, well, he sent two, he's not going to send a third Canadian player gets the ball with his back to goal, passes it two seconds later. It wasn't even a slide tackle. The guy just came in and kicked him, flipped him up in the air and he landed on the back of his neck. So Ooh. third red card. Uh, so we're 11 on eight in the 20 something minute. And the only goal that Canada could manage is a, is a deflected goal. So we get to halftime and uh, have to send the, the Guatemalan coach. And 
the assessor comes over and communicates with the rest of the crew and the, the translated message is, you know, you better find something, find something against Canada kind of thing. Yeah. So five minutes into the second half, my fourth official calls me over and the rest of the crew were not native English speakers. Mm. Um, and they just pointed at the Canadian coach and said, fuera. I said, okay, goodbye. <laughs> uh, he had stepped out of his technical area asking a question about his sub passes and he didn't speak Spanish. The fourth didn't speak English. So they just raised their voices to each other. So goodbye. Um, second half, it's still one nothing. Have to give a penalty against Guatemala. Fortunately, wow. this was so obvious that even they didn't argue. Mm. The guy got grabbed by the shirt and pulled back and spun around. So it's 2 nothing. And all tournament, they've been hammering us. You must have stoppage time. You must have stoppage time. You can't have no stoppage time. So I say we're having one. Yeah. Um, at 45 seconds into that one minute, Guatemala scores. And now it's 2-1. Oh. And I know what's coming. So I'm just trying to find a place to get as far away from their bench as I can before I blow the whistle. And uh, when the game ends, the setup was all the players were on one side and the grandstand was on the other. But they didn't want to have security by the stands. They wanted security over by the players. So there turned out to be a foot race between the Guatemalan team and uh, some 50-year-old security people. And security didn't win the race. <laughs> so I kind of got surrounded, bumped, punched, jostled. Um, and it was an interesting experience. And, you know, they basically told Guatemala, you guys are on the next plane out of the competition. Uh, a couple of players got suspended for six months. One got suspended for a year. Uh, one of them I later refereed a lot in Major League Soccer, Carlos Ruiz. Mm. Um, never had an issue with him in MLS. And this is really before cell phones and, and things become prevalent. I'm out of the country. It was uh, an interesting experience. I called my wife. I missed her birthday because I'm out of the country. Mm. And I left her a voicemail and said, yeah, I had kind of an interesting game. You know, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. So when I finally got a hold of her the next day, she said, what are you not telling me? I said, what do you mean? Well, like 30 of your friends have emailed asking if you're okay. Oh my God. So it, uh, it made the front page of the sports section in USA Today. And, you know, a lot of, lot of wow. stuff. And if my students are interested, that's usually the first thing they find out about me when they Google me yeah. um, about soccer refing. So I would say that was certainly probably the most memorable game not necessarily for all positive reasons but right wow my goodness it's <laughs> <That is> wild <laughs> good grief um what this is off script slightly but as you've gone through all these experiences at all sorts of levels you we we see all the the stuff with with on the college side obviously the professional side are there lessons that you've learned through this that you've taken into life you know, I, I think as my involvement in the sport has become more diversified and, and the more I coach and do things from an assessing side and an administrative side, um, you know, if I could go back and tell my younger self, you know, figure out how to yeah. deal with people because that's what it's about instead of just everything is black and white and by the book, um, things would have been a lot smoother. Um, I think... The fact that I coach now makes me a better official when I do officiate because I understand where coaches are coming from, you know, and I've, I've yeah. been in their shoes to some extent. So 
you know, my advice to people would be to get involved in the game in multiple ways and multiple perspectives, because I think it does help you as an official. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been sent off as a coach yet? Was that? Uh, once. Oh, okay. <laughs> I that will was, make you tell that story. Well, it, we, have, we have time. It wasn't justified. Oh, okay. Uh, well, now I do want to hear. Now I do want to hear. So I was an assistant coach for our boys team and we were playing against the hometown high school where I lived. And at that time, high school rules allowed for a soft red card. So if a player got two yellows, they could be replaced. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our players got a second yellow and it was deserved. And the ref started the game up before we could put a sub in. Mm -hmm. And all I said was, sir, we're supposed to be able to sub on that. And he blows the whistle and he comes over and he, looks down and he says you're on the field and I look down no I'm not boom red card whoa I was like okay um and then he wouldn't tell me why and I sent my captain over and he said if you don't get out of here we're gonna forfeit the game and whatever so I left game was over I came back in and I asked him you know I said look I'm not yelling I'm not screaming I just want to know why I got a red card and his response was if you don't get away I'm gonna call the police okay uh, I found out later at the end of the season, one of our players' uh, father was a diplomat with the Mexican consulate in Chicago. And he spoke to the ref after the game and asked the ref basically, why'd you kick our coach out? And the ref, I guess, knew my officiating background and I was on the FIFA list at the time. And he said, his response was, no FIFA referee is going to embarrass me by pointing out I made a mistake. So that was why I got a red card. So I had to go call my athletic director and everything and say, yeah, this happened. And fortunately, the assistant referee's version of the story was consistent with mine. So when they called the assigner, the assigner basically told the referee, um, don't write this up because it's not going to be good for you if you do. Yeah. So I got the red card, but I was never officially suspended. I didn't know if maybe he had played for Guatemala in a game against Canada. (laughs) And that (laughs) retribution for something here. Holy Moses. Well, you kind of already answered the question about advice, but is there anything else? And one of the things I was curious is, you know, advice about just getting started for those in that place and or advice for those who are in that mobile, like upward mobility, trying to kind of reach the top, if you will. Yeah, I think, you know, for the the ones getting started, I think everybody wants to, they want to go from zero to 60 right away. Yeah. You know, and I think there was some wisdom in the way things were set up when I was starting out, you know, before I became a national referee, we had a requirement that you had to be a, at the time, a grade five, a state referee for five years. Mm. Um, And I think one of the things that we've done with referee development in this country during the days of the, the development academy and other things is that we have been so exclusively focused on youth events that we've neglected the adult side of things. Yeah. And to me, if you, especially if you live in a community where you have really competitive adult soccer and preferably with a lot of different ethnicities, that's how you learn how to manage people and, and survive. And I think we do a disservice to people if we kind of fast track them to the pro environment without that step, because I think it is a necessary step. And then I think, you know, when people do get into that pro environment, they're trying to figure out like, what do I have to do 
to get noticed. Um, I think the single biggest thing is just be a consistently good communicator and decision maker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the other stuff you can't, you can't control. Right. You know, you, you don't know who's going to see you at what time. You don't know anything else. All you can control is your performance and, and just try and be a consistently reliable person. Yeah. You know, so that your name comes up as someone like, okay, I'm confident putting this individual on a game. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. I want to touch before we get to NCAA soccer side of things. I, I just want to briefly touch on the NASL because I think that's a that's a whole different beast. And I've I've seen some of it uh, being in Kansas City. I've watched some Comets games, which um, I feel like I always get my money's worth every time I watch a Comets game. Um, and and I, I want to talk more NASL when we get there in the in the winter time. But what sure. you've been involved in that league for a long, long time. That seems to be a, a kind of if you really have to be able to manage man management in there, it appears. What's that experience been like? For oh, you? It, absolutely. I think the thing that I had to learn as a young referee, because that was my first experience professionally, was in what was then the, the NPSL. Hmm. Um, you can't run away. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. You, got yeah. Walls. you, you, have, to, you have to be able to deal with people. Um, and I grew up during the time when the original MISL was going on and I was in the New York area, so I was a fan of the New York Arrows. And I really just enjoyed the sport. Mm. Um, So it was really fun to me to be able to get a chance to officiate that sport when I moved to Chicago. And, you know, in the days before, a lot of people had turf fields. If you're in Chicago, you're not doing anything outside from November to maybe early April. Right. So if you want to develop your officiating skills, that's a way to do it. Mm. So it's it's been something that's always been a part of my officiating. I really do enjoy it. I, I like the different combinations of permutations and the different rules. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big hockey fan too, and there's some similarities to that sport. Oh, sure. Uh, with penalties and administration. It's just, it's just fun. And that's, yeah. that's why I do it still. I, I still enjoy that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoy watching those games from a safe distance most of the time. So, <laughs> no, I enjoy that. Um, so that's refereeing career. Um, transition to another hat you wear. Talking about okay. NCAA with rules and things like that. Unless there's anything else that on the referee no, let's side. Go with it. That's, that's fine. Great. No, that's awesome. I appreciate all you shared with that. So let's talk NCAA rules changes. We talked a little bit about this on a previous episode, and so we've kind of shared some of those. Um, your role with the NCAA soccer, just tell us briefly where you're in that, in that role and how long you've been in that role. Yeah, so I was, uh, for the last 10 years, what was called a regional advisor. So that means I'm one of Ryan Sigich's assistants. And I would help develop educational material, assign referees to postseason matches, that kind of thing. And Ryan and some other people suggested that uh, Ken Andres' term as secretary rules editor was coming to an end and that I might be a good person to, to go for that. I've always been kind of a, a rules person and enjoying that aspect of things. So I threw my hat in the ring for that. Um, interviewed, got appointed, and this was in the summer of 
2020. And the plan was to kind of have a um, two year transition window where I would shadow Ken and, you know, learn on the job and kind of see how, how everything worked. And Ken and I were able to work closely through um, the limited 2020 fall season and the much busier spring of 21. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was quite shocked and saddened to find out that, that he was seriously ill and then passed away um, in June of 2021. And at that point, the NCAA said, look, you were already being trained. Um, mm. You're going to start now. So I mm. uh, wound up jumping into that. And that's certainly been a, a different experience because, you know, I get a lot of video clips. I get a lot of emails from coaches, uh, conference administrators, that kind of thing. Some of it asking for rule interpretations. Some of it saying, here's video. What the heck was this referee thinking? Yeah. You know, what can we do about it? Um, but it's certainly been a nice um, opportunity to engage with, with the sport that I've been involved in for a long time. Yeah. You know, with I started officiating college games when I was still a college student. And now I've got a kid playing in college. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's always been a big part of my referee stuff. Yeah. So uh, how, before we get to those, the changes that we'll see, which will be in a two-year cycle here, um, how did those changes come about? What's, give us just a background of that, the process. So in the fall of a, actually every fall, but particularly the rules change year, the NCA will solicit proposals. So, you know, you have a suggestion for a rule change, send it in. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, we had numerous ones from, the two most popular ones were change the sub rule and get rid of overtime. Um, You know, some variation on that. So we might've had 74 different variations of get rid of overtime. Um, But anybody can make a suggestion. There is a, there's a survey that goes out where we take the most popular suggestions and put them out there. And we ask for people to say, comment on this. And the committee then meets uh, there's a committee that has eight voting members. Four of them are from Division One, and two each from Division Two and Division Three, and they're divided between men's and women's representatives. And that committee is the one that votes on the changes. So in January at the uh, coaches convention in Kansas City this year, we talked about um, here's the feedback we received, and we actually did another opportunity to say, hey, look, we're, our participation rates are not really where we want them to be mm-hmm. in terms of coaches responding to the survey. So the committee uh, met and hammered out the initial draft of the uh, proposed changes. And that included the change to the re-entry rule. Mm-hmm. So there was a proposal to make the second half just like the first half in terms of substitution rules. Mm -hmm. And then there's always a comment period. So that was sent out for comment. And there was significant pushback from pretty much everyone in the community except Division I men who said, we really don't like this change. Hmm. So that's why that change uh, was ultimately not adopted. When the changes come through, Uh, the NCAA Men's and Women's Soccer Rules Committee. There's also um, a final group that it goes to. It's called the Playing Rules Oversight Panel. 
That's an NCAA group that is in charge of playing rules for all NCAA sports. So they have the final stamp of approval on whether something goes forward or not. And they might get involved with things, let's say that are, they want to be consistent across all NCAA sports, or they're very cost conscious of not imposing additional burdens on the membership. Sure. So, you know, they wouldn't want to change the uniform rules every year. And, and now schools have to go out and buy a whole new set of uniforms, that kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's about, you know, looking at the big picture of college sports when, when that group weighs in. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's fascinating. So changes that, and we've already talked a little bit about it, what changes should we expect to see for the fall? So I think a, a lot of them are not going to impact the way that we officiate the game. Sure. Uh, but, and I'll, I'll include some of the minor ones and the major ones too. So uh, we're going in rule book order here. So the game roster uh, this is something that coaches brought up and basically now they just have to give a copy of the roster to the scorekeeper. We're not doing the exchange it to the other coach and chase it down and give it to the referee. Uh, the referee needs the roster. They check with the scorekeeper. So yeah. we're really trying to reduce the amount of paperwork and allow the coaches to concentrate on getting ready for the game instead of swapping pieces of paper with everybody. Yeah. Uh, a second one Right now, if we have a player temporarily leave the game due to injury, if they left on the side opposite the benches, in 2021, they would have had to go all the way back around to the bench side to re-enter. Uh, we changed that so it's now consistent with uh, FIFA rules. You can re-enter with the referee's permission uh, on the side of the field where they were removed from the game. Um, referee uniform one down the road. The NCAA is putting together a committee to look at the issue of a referee uniform. And basically what we want to get is to the point where we are with college basketball, where there's one official uniform. Mm -hmm. And I think right now the NCAA looks at it and says, okay, you turn on a game. Here's one crew wearing one set of uniforms, another crew wearing a different brand of uniforms, a third crew wearing a different brand. And it's just not a, a good, consistent visual signature. Sure. So I think the focus is going to be on, can we get a simple uniform that reduces the need for referees to carry around 10 different jerseys and get one that just says, here's the look for NCAA soccer officials. That's great. So that's going to be phased in hopefully by 2023. Okay. Um, some post-game things. Um, one of the changes made during COVID was we didn't have to physically sign the box score anymore. We could mm -hmm. uh, verbally approve it or visually look at it and say, yes, this is correct. Um, big one that does affect the playing of the game is video review. Mm -hmm. So if anybody is in a game where they are using video review, uh, that can now be used to determine if a foul is inside or outside the penalty area. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can't look at video to say, should that be a foul? But if the referee has called the foul, they can use video re review to say it's inside or it's outside. Hmm. Interesting. Um, protests. One of the big things that came up last year, uh, a change that was made right before COVID was the introduction of a violent behavior to red card mm -hmm. with an additional game suspension for those acts that were basically above and beyond and we really felt had no place in the college game. 
And there were some times last year, honestly, when referees got that wrong. So we wanted to have a bit of a safety net. So this year, uh, teams can protest. If a player is given a violent behavior to red card, there's going to be a three-person committee that will review that. And that will be Ryan Sigich as the national coordinator of officials. It will be myself and one of the regional coordinators who is not representing a team that was involved in the game. Okay. So the idea then is if we decide that was an unwarranted uh, situation where a player shouldn't be suspended for two games, we can reduce the suspension to one game. We're not talking about overturning red cards. We're just talking about reclassifying it from a violent sure. behavior two to a violent behavior one. Sure. Makes sense. Uh, the overtime stuff we touched on briefly, but regular season overtime is now gone. Mm-hmm. Um, postseason overtime, there was a strong sentiment from the coaches that due to the variations in weather and other things that they wanted an opportunity to play the same amount of time in both directions. So mm-hmm. postseason overtime will now be played to completion. There's no more uh, sudden victory. Mm-hmm. Um, A big change that we had was what to do about suspended games. So in the past, if a game did not progress to 70 minutes and it was impossible to restart it that same day, NCAA rules mandated that if you were going to redo the game and had to start over from zero. Mm -hmm. And soccer was basically the only sport doing that. I think there was a lot of thought that that was unfair um, and the committee decided that that criticism was warranted and we're going to change it. So now that game can be continued from the point of interruption, just wherever you left off, the stats and everything um, go forward and you pick it up whenever you can at a mutually mm-hmm. agreeable time. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is they, they enhanced the, uh, the spitting at or biting uh, mm-hmm. has been defined as a, a violent behavior to red card. Um, and we included coughing at another person on that as well. That's something that first came in during COVID. Right. So those are those are the big changes. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the the book itself that, when it comes out, people will see we've we've tightened up some language. We've tried to make it more consistent. We haven't really changed the way things are being interpreted, but hopefully the book itself is a bit more readable and it makes a little bit more sense. Sure. Absolutely. Wow. Oh, that's a lot. And, and for the soccer nerd, you're right. That probably is thrilling to be able to go through all that and <laughs> put it together. No, that's great. Um, I think uh, there will be some, hopefully some, maybe some additional trainings or discussions about that as we move forward. And ISOA could be um, maybe part of that or NCAA trickling some of that down just to make sure everybody's on the same page. Should we expect to see something along those lines? Yeah, in speaking with Ryan, I think the plan is that there are going to be a couple, we're going to return to a couple of in-person um, NCA seminars uh, like we had pre-COVID okay. in different areas of the country. Um, I've been in contact with various people from the local chapters from NISOA, you know, saying, when is this coming out? Basically, the the final edits of the rule book just went to the printer today. Okay. So um, <laughs> look for some stuff coming out officially soon. Fortunately, I think there's there's not a whole lot that's going to require significant training and interpretation. Right. You know, saying like, we don't have overtime. 
that I think most right. referees will say that's a welcome change, but right. I don't know that that's going to require a great deal of preparation on our part. Right. Right. It sounds like maybe some more, I know you guys did quite a bit of conversation about VB1, VB2 and fighting. It sounds like maybe even more clarification on that lines, it's, it's, but it's nice to be able to have the, the, the uh, committee to review those and adjust that as needed. I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's that's one where I think we just have to adjust our calibration on that to make sure that we're we're not over punishing or under punishing. Right. Um, and really, I think our message to referees is don't go looking to make something violent behavior too. It should right. jump out mm -hmm. at you. You know, when you see one of those video clips and your your immediate reaction is, ooh, you know, yeah. that's that's what we're looking for. Right. Very good. Well, Rich, thank you so much for your time. There's a lot here, and this was fantastic. I really appreciate the conversation. The one question that I warned you was coming and I asked all of our guests is, is there something that if you don't say it, you're not going to be able to sleep tonight? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's, okay. been, it's been fun uh, doing this um, to all of the people who have seen me over the past five or six years at either U.S. Uh, youth events regionally or nationally. Um, this year, I will not be dividing my attention between multiple things. Um, so both of my kids have gone through it and they've played at regionals, they've played at nationals. Uh, they're both too old now, so uh, there will be no more Grady's on the field at those events. So people don't have to deal with either one of my kids as a referee uh, or uh, my wife and I as, as fans. There you go. There you go. You didn't have any spectators that said they weren't going to be shown up by a FIFA referee spectator and throw you out. Very, I'm very quiet when I watch my kids play. I believe that. My wife, not so much, but I'm quiet. <laughs> Mama Bear stepping up. Absolutely. Well, very good. Thank you so much, Rich. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll, I'll see you this summer in uh, Indiana. So thanks for Sounds your time. Good. Thanks, Gordy.